Good morning. Uh, I'm Mike. My privilege to bring the sermon uh, here today. These guys are bringing up a couple of uh, props for me. I don't usually use props, but I did uh, this Sunday. I want to start out with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being here. We ask that your spirit is here in power this morning, binding Satan and his demons from any influence over our hearts and our minds. We ask, Lord, that you would purpose to accomplish much here this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're in the series called In God's Family, and today's sermon is In God's Family, We Come to the Father. So what I'm really going to talk about is we have to come to the Father in order to be in God's family. We don't start out in God's family. We need to come to the Father. The only way to the Father is what? Jesus, right? His Son. So this door represents Jesus. Jesus is the gate, the door, uh, the narrow road. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how many is no one? Zero. Nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. God made a way, but only one way. So we need to come through the Father. So this door represents Jesus. This side of the stage represents people that haven't come to faith in him, that are outside God's family. This side represents the people that are in God's family that have come to faith in Jesus. And I'm going to put signs up here uh, with words we use to describe them. I chuckled to myself, somebody must have prayed for a sign this week because I have a ton of them. So I just, I just thought that. And uh, my brother Dave did most of the work on uh, this door to make it into a prop. I appreciate him helping me out when I was in a jam. You know, first service got that right away too, and I, I wasn't expecting that. So I, I, I appreciate I appreciate that. Now, we're talking about Jesus being the door, and the kids are with us today in service. So Stephanie got some door hangers, I think they're called. So up here and on the other side of the stage, we have some stickers and some blank door hangers. So if you're a kid, come on up and grab a blank door hanger and some stickers. Don't be shy. You're going to want something to do. Now, I did the math. If you guys put on about one sticker a minute, we'll get done at the same time. But actually, there, maybe there aren't that many stickers. I'm not sure. So we're going to go through this talking about how we get into God's family. So... A lot more kids in second service than first service. That's good. So, we're born over here. We're not born as a baby into God's family. So one word to describe us when we're born is dead. We're spiritually dead. We're dead in our sin. We're separated from God. After we come to faith, we're alive. Our spirit comes alive inside of us. We're in community with God. We're alive. I have this verse. This is John 5, 24. 
I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. But Jesus is the way. Next, I have lost and found. Without Christ, we're lost. Jesus came, 1910, Luke, he came to seek and to save the lost. I have this Bible verse. This is from the parable of the prodigal son. So the father says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. That celebration is a picture of what happens in heaven when a sinner comes to faith in Christ and they enter God's family. Heaven celebrates. Next we have unbeliever and believer. Nobody comes out of the womb having faith. But believer isn't a very clear word because the Bible tells us demons believe, right? And shudder. So you're a believer, but a believer in what? That has to be clear. So my verse for that is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That's how we come to the Father, by believing. Next up, I have unforgiven and forgiven. We all start out unforgiven. We're responsible for our own sins. We have to live up to the law or we're sinners. Of course, uh, nobody lives up to the law. We only get forgiveness through Christ. And my verse for that is this. This is from Isaiah prophesying to the nation Israel. It says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So that's a future state of Israel at the end of the age when they all come to faith. God says, I'm going to remove your sin. That's also a picture of us when we come to faith in Jesus, washed by his blood. Our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west, right? So, in God's family, we're forgiven. We also have this in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, understanding that we're separated from God is part of coming to faith. We have to acknowledge that we need saving, that there's a separation there. So part of coming to faith is acknowledging that our sins need to be forgiven. And, of course, once we're in the family of God, we continue to ask for forgiveness as we sin. Now, when we come to faith, when we enter through the door that is Jesus, all our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Yet, as we walk with God, we continue to come to the Father asking for forgiveness. Uh, my next one here is unrighteous versus righteous. Now, this isn't a word we use very much anymore. Righteous means referring to uh, doing what's right or following God's command, living up to his standard. And there are a lot of words I could have picked here. I included righteous and unrighteous because of this. 
My first verse is just Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody measures up. Everybody misses the mark. Nobody's good enough. But I wanted to point out uh, this verse here, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're over here, God declares us righteous. He looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ. Not because we're all of a sudden wonderful people that do everything right, but he just declares us righteous, so we're righteous. Realistically, the people over here aren't much different than the people over here. The divorce rate outside the church is the same as the divorce rate inside the church. Now, part of that is because a lot of people that are in the church are actually over here. They're not over there. But the people are kind of the same. It's just that God declares us righteous. These people are forgiven. Level of sin, relatively the same in the grand scheme of things. These people are forgiven. These people aren't because these people have entered through the door. Now, I've got one more. I have a foreigner or stranger. Some translations say alien. But we were strangers, but through faith we can become a child of God. And I've included with that this idea of adoption because we're adopted into God's family. We don't start out that way, we're adopted. I've got this verse here from John. Now remember, Jesus came to the nation Israel, but the Jews didn't receive them in general, although a few did. So we have this. He, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So I could have put uh, born of God over here. That would have been, that would have made sense. Uh, but I had to draw the line somewhere. But we're adopted into God's family. Once we're adopted, God never unadopts us. And I've got uh, one passage from uh, Paul that I'm going to read here. There's quite a few of the, these in the Bible. Paul does a good job at combining a lot of uh, these terms. He says this in Romans. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So over here I could have had slave to sin, uh, or here I could have slave to Christ. But the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba means daddy, remember? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So I could have put heir over here or co-heir with Christ. But the point is, if you're in God's family, the Holy Spirit should testify that, to your spirit that you're in his family. You should feel that way. Now, I've got... A few words here of the many we use to describe this conversion, this salvation factor. We can say somebody came to faith. 
we can say they were born again. John chapter 3, Jesus said you have to be born again to enter the kingdom. We can say somebody found Jesus or they were saved. What are they saved from? The penalty of sin, right? They're saved from hell. We can say you trusted Christ or we can say you received Christ. I like trusted Christ because that's what you're trusting to cover your sin. You're not trusting being a good person. You're trusting Christ. I think uh, that's important. So as you think about these words, and our standing starts here, nobody, nobody by default starts over here, we have to make a decision at some point in our life to trust Christ to enter God's family. Now I want to call Pam Shue up. She's going to share her testimony. I think her testimony has uh, application for us as we sit here and think about uh, where we stand in relationship to the door. I grew up in a family that went to church every Sunday. We prayed before meals and every night before we went to bed. We definitely believed in God and Jesus, and I knew all the important stories from the Bible. I even went to parochial grade school. I was a good person, and I fully expected that I would go to heaven when I died. I knew Jesus died for my sins, and so in my mind, everything was taken care of. As long as I wasn't bad, I was going to be okay. Fast forward many years. In my late 20s, one day I found myself talking about God and heaven at a bar with a coworker who was also a friend of mine. She started telling me things she knew about the Bible that she had learned from some aunts of hers, specifically about the book of Revelation. These were all things I had never heard of and frankly sounded very strange. She talked about the end times and how there's only one way to get into heaven. Now, interestingly, she was not a believer at this time, but these were just things that she knew. I argued that these things couldn't be true because surely I would know about them if they were. I mean, they sounded pretty significant, and I had basically grown up in the church. She assured me it was all in the Bible and encouraged me to check into it. Despite my religious upbringing, I had never really read the Bible for myself, but I had a sister who was definitely a believer. My family and I considered her kind of a Jesus freak at the time. So I decided to ask her if this was all true, and I did the very next day. She confirmed it. I was pretty mad that I didn't know about something so important, that Jesus needed to be my Lord and Savior in order for me to go to heaven. I said to her, why don't I know this? She said, well, that's a good question, and suggested I look for a Bible-believing church and start attending. I had stopped going to church several years before this. So since this was back in the dark ages, I looked in the yellow pages, and I found Appleton Alliance, the first church that was listed, and I attended the next day. As God loves to do, the message that day was all about knowing if you're going to heaven or not. The sermon ended with the pastor asking, if you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, call the church office and talk to a pastor. So the next day at work, I shared this with my friend, and we called right then and there. That very night, we met with the pastor. He explained the gospel to us, that nobody is good enough to get into heaven, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, we don't have to be. He explained that salvation is a free gift, but that we have to actually accept it. And to do that, we need to repent and turn away from our old lives and from sin and start to follow Jesus. He gave us both a Bible and encouraged us to start reading. After that meeting, we both started our faith journey and became believers shortly after that. Once I knew the truth, it seemed like everything in life made so much more sense to me. 
but I was even madder that I had lived for so long without knowing, and that if I had died up to this point, I would have spent eternity separated from God. I asked my sister, why didn't you just tell me? In my mind, I thought, if someone would have just told me, I, I would have believed. She told me that she did. She said she sat down with me with a tract and went through all the steps to knowing Jesus. Even though I usually remember everything, or at least back then I did, I had zero recollection of hearing the gospel from her. I had been completely blinded. I can't imagine what my life would have been had I not made the decision to follow Jesus at that time. I, of course, still struggle like everybody does with, with things, but now I have Jesus to lead me and guide my choices. His faithfulness has sustained me through many difficult times. The ability to have the king of the universe always at your side is a pretty sweet deal. But even sweeter is the assurance of knowing where you'll spend eternity. Thanks, Pam. When I was thinking about this sermon, I thought of Pam's testimony. I used to be in Ken and Pam's small group. I assume that's where I heard her testimony for, for the first time. Uh, we're now in the same gospel community. But some things I want to point out in her testimony that I think are applicable. The first one is, she assumed she was over here. She's good. She knew Jesus died for her sins. As long as uh, there weren't too many of them, she was okay. So she didn't really understand the gospel. She just assumed she was here and was later upset to find that she was over here, but nobody told her. Uh, the other thing I think that was interesting about her testimony is her sister went to college and got saved, heard the gospel and accepted it through Campus Crusade for Christ. Her sister came back and witnessed to her. She doesn't remember ever hearing the gospel from her sister. Pam says she remembered everything. And her husband, Ken, can probably attest to that. Right? Pam has a good memory. She can't remember hearing the gospel over a period of years. That's interesting that Satan can blind us to the gospel. Somebody can tell us and we cannot hear it. I think that's kind of scary. So my takeaway here is, if you have somebody that you've witnessed to, and it's like, it's like there's a wall there, it's not even getting through, two things. You need to pray that God will remove that veil. And secondly, just because you witnessed to them five years ago and they rejected it, doesn't mean you shouldn't try again. Maybe something has changed in the spiritual realm. So don't give up on that. The other thing I like about it is, even though uh, she received this news uh, kind of suddenly in her late 20s, you know, she came to faith over maybe a couple-week period. So it wasn't, uh, she can't point to the day or the hour. And that's the case for most of us. Now, sometimes we hear uh, incredible stories of life transformation where somebody can point to the time and place where they came to faith and their life was radically changed. But that's not the way it is for most of it. So she can point to a pretty short window and know that somewhere in there, she crossed the line. She accepted uh, God through faith. We don't, as a church family, we don't want our kids to have sudden life transformation in their late 20s, right? We want their testimony to be, I grew up in a Christian family. 
My mom and dad loved Jesus. For as long as I can remember, I trusted God. I felt very loved and special. I knew God had a plan for my life. And then from there, their testimony could go to, I did this and God got me through it. And I walked away from him for a little bit, but not too bad. I came back, maybe decided to get baptized, uh, whatever the case may be. But we don't want our kids to have to have sudden life transformation late in life. We want them to know the gospel from an early age. Now, I've got four questions I'm going to ask you, and these are questions that you've maybe heard before, but they help us to understand where people are spiritually. The first question is, if you died today, would you be with the Lord tonight? That's just a question. Do you know if you're over here? Or do you not know? Now this, this question played a big role in my life. So part of my faith story is, I grew up in a Lutheran church. Uh, I understood the gospel at a young age, uh, as far as Jesus dying for my sins. Uh, my dad pounded into me that nobody's good enough to get into heaven. I didn't have to wonder if that was true. I knew that for as long as I can remember. And uh, so I would watch Billy Graham as an 8 or 10 or 12-year-old. He would do the sinner's prayer. I would pray it. I wanted Jesus to be my Savior. Every time it came on, I would pray it. I remember watching Billy Graham all alone, nobody else in the house, uh, saying the prayer with him. Yet, when I was 22 years old, my dad and I were working around a house on a Saturday morning. 6.30, the owner of the house comes out. He's a good Baptist. And he says, if you die today, Mike, he didn't say my name, but if he died today, would you be with the Lord tonight? And I didn't know, even though I had accepted Jesus. So I lied and said yes, because I didn't really want to talk about it. But that always ate at me that I didn't know. So it was like I was missing something. I, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I know he's the only way, yet I don't know if I'm over here. So it was about six years later, right after I started to come to Lakeview, that I talked to a high school friend of mine, and I was kind of describing this to him. I wasn't assured of my salvation, although that wasn't the language I would have used at the time. So he's asking me questions about the gospel, and I've got all the answers. Then at the end he says, uh, once you come to faith, what helps you to lead the Christian life? Like, I don't know. He said, the Holy Spirit. Well, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, so it wasn't, you know, wasn't even on the radar. And then the last thing he said to me, and I still remember it, he said, I don't know what the problem is, you've got all the answers. So that didn't really help me out. But the next day, I was running my uh, bulldozer, thinking about this, and I had the thought come into my mind, if the Bible says do this, basically receive Christ, do this and you're saved, and I do this and I don't know if I'm saved, what am I missing? Just faith. There's nothing I can add to the gospel. I knew that. That's why I struggled a little bit. It's like, there's nothing I can really do, so how can I be missing anything? Then I realized, I'm just missing faith that that's enough. And as soon as I had that thought enter my mind, I knew that I was over here, and my life changed. Now, people on the outside wouldn't have really seen that, but inside, God's spirit testified to my spirit that I was his child. I started witnessing to people, and my life really changed. Now, I don't know when I crossed the line. I assume as a 10 or 12-year-old, when I asked Jesus into my heart, he didn't say no. I assume he said yes. 
but I was about 28 years old when I knew I was across the line, and that changed everything for me. Uh, next question. If you met God at the gates of heaven and he asked why he should let you in, what would you say? So in other words, if somebody says to the first question, yeah, I know I'd be with the Lord tonight, then you ask him, okay, if he asked you why he should let you in, what do you say? And I've asked this of people, and usually the first thing off their lips is, I'm a good person. And then they explain to you why they're a good person. I go to church. You know, I had a woman tell me, I volunteer for United Way. You know, I'm a good, you know, that's not the right answer, right? Nobody's good enough. You can't measure up. So what we usually say, the answer is, uh, I know I'm a sinner, but I've placed my trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm trusting his death on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And through my faith in you, uh, I'm born again. And I was thinking about this Friday, uh, and I thought, well, if God asked me, he said, hey, Mike, why should I let you into heaven? Would I, would I really start explaining the gospel to God? Probably not, right? We, we say that as an answer to that question, to explain the gospel to whoever we're working with or talking to. But I would say, if God asked me, hey, Mike, why should I let you into heaven? I would say, I'm your son. And he would know I'm his son. I know I'm his son, Right? Or Thea could say, uh, gee, Thea, why should I let you into heaven? And Thea would say, what would you say? I'm your daughter. daughter. That's right. And I thought about this some more. And I think about my daughters, Maggie and Minnie, when they come home from Colorado Springs. uh, You know, do I open the door and say, why should I let you in? (laughs) No. They would think something was wrong if I did that. They just come in. They have a key. They just come in. They're family. And then I I thought about this more, and I thought, I usually find myself saying to them, it's good to have you home. And then they say, it's good to be home. And I thought about that in context of this sermon and being home with God and how good that will be. Now, it's also good when they leave. (laughs) (laughs) But it's good to have them home, too. So anyway... uh, The next question is, what makes you a Christian? Uh, If your answer is, I'm a good person and I go to church, you failed the question. There's a lot of people that are good and go to church, but they don't understand the gospel and they're really trusting themselves. Uh, This next question, I've never asked anybody, but it's a good one. Are you born again? Now, born again carries a little bit of language or baggage in our culture, right? Not in our context, it doesn't, because we know Jesus told us we have to be born again or we can't get to heaven. So uh, born again is a good thing. And you can say, yes, I know I'm over here. No, I know I'm over here. You can say, I don't know, I'm not sure. That was my spiritual state for a good chunk of my life. Or mentally, when I ask that question, you can think number four. I don't need to be born again because... Now, what are you going to put in that blank? You can't put Jesus in there because he said you have to be born again. But you could say, I don't need to be born again because I go to a certain church or I was baptized or I went through a confirmation class or I'm good enough. 
But the bottom line is none of those answers get you to heaven. None of those are valid. We all need to be born again if you want to get into God's kingdom. Now, uh, Pam's older sister came to faith at Campus Crusade for Christ. That was started by Bill Bright in 1951. In 1952, he came out with a little pamphlet explaining the gospel and how to come to faith in Christ. And he has in that pamphlet the four spiritual laws. And I've summarized those here uh, just briefly to save time. The first one is God loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. God made you. He loves you. He has a wonderful plan for his life that he wants you to know. The problem is point two. Sin has separated you from God. The good news of Jesus Christ is, number three, God provided a way through Jesus Christ. He provided a doorway. Number four is, by receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, you will be forgiven and adopted. That's good news. But you have to make a decision. So Pam was frustrated uh, with her home church because they didn't tell her, oh, you, everybody starts out over here, you have to make a decision. I never heard, in the years and years I went to my home church, I never heard anybody stand up and say, you have to make a decision. You have to accept Christ. I might have heard the gospel at home, and I might have heard the sinner's prayer from Billy Graham, but nobody in my church ever stood up and said, you have to make a decision. What side do you want to be on? I think that's sad. I think that's a waste of a church. So I'm standing up here today telling you all, you need to make a decision. Now, hopefully most of us have, right? We know where we stand. But probably not all of us have. And some of us maybe have, and we don't know where we stand. So I'm going to say uh, a salvation prayer. I'm going to read through it. If you agree with it, I'm going to read through it again, and you can, you can mentally say the words in your head along with me as a way of professing faith in Jesus Christ. It hits all the key elements. So it's this. This is what you have to uh, kind of understand to accept the gospel and to walk through the door. Dear God, I realize I'm a sinner separated from you. I can never re reach heaven by my own good deeds, but you have made provision for my sin. Right now I place my faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son, who died for my sins and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Please forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. Father, thank you for accepting me and giving me eternal life. Now I'm going to read that again, and you can agree to that. And if that's a prayer you've already said... You don't need to say it again. So what I do, because uh, I've heard this prayer a lot, is I kind of go along as a child of God, and I agree with it. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm still a sinner. You've made a way. I'm trusting Jesus. Thank you. Please continue to help me be the kind of person you want me to be. The amazing thing about the gospel is that God made a way. That never gets old for me. Never. So I'm going to say this prayer. If you want to be this prayer for your life, say these words silently along with me. Dear God, I realize I am a sinner separated from you. I can never reach heaven by my own good deeds, 
but you have made provision for my sin. Right now I place my faith in Jesus Christ as God's son who died for my sins and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Please forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. Father, thank you for accepting me and giving me eternal life. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time and you're sincere, you've gone, you've crossed over from death to life. Uh, after first service, I had a woman come up to me and tell me, I used to say the salvation repair uh, prayer repeatedly because I never knew if it took. And that's kind of where I was, right? I had said the salvation prayer, but I didn't know if I was over here. And she said she eventually realized you assume that it took by faith. And believing that that prayer is enough is a part of believing in Jesus. There's nothing you can do to add to it. So if you said that prayer, you don't have to feel different. It doesn't have to be a big moment, no fireworks. But by faith, you can believe you're in God's family. And he'll begin to work in your life. Now, I was going to talk a little bit about as children of God, we continue to come to the Father. Uh, my kids still come to me mostly when they need something, right? And that's how we are, right? Hey, God, uh, I got a problem. Can you help me out here? Set me up? Uh, but once in a while, my daughters call me and just to say they love me. But a lot of times they call me if they want some advice or have a problem they need solved. And I'm happy as their father to get the call. I love helping them out. So I want... Uh, Dave and Dave to come up and take these signs down and then Steph is going to come up and she's going to lead us in a song to end the service. But as you leave here today, I want you to think about uh, where you stand and why. And, and uh, like everyone to be confident in where they stand and be able to share with others confidently the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. Thank you for faith. Thank you, Father, that you made a way and you've revealed it to us. Amen.